Armor. Welcome to the Inner Armor podcast with Dr. Timothy Royer, where we explore ways to train our brains and bodies to become dynamically resilient so that we can all, from professional athletes to ordinary people, perform at our potential. Well, welcome to the Inner Armor Podcast. I'm Greg Smith, and once again, as always, I am with Dr. Timothy Royer, the founder of Royer Neuroscience and Inner Armor, someone who is constantly on the move, traveling the country, traveling the globe, and doing interesting things to help people enhance their performance and reach their potential. Doc, you are far afield today, aren't you? Yes, I am in the Netherlands. I think we did a podcast from the Netherlands last time I was here, but I've been here for a few days. We just had our first grandbaby. We had a granddaughter about two weeks ago. And so we're here visiting Amelia and her parents and just having a, a wonderful time, but also fitting in some work in the cracks. And it's actually been a pretty exciting week because I'm also here with my business partner, for Inner Armor, who's John Weiriga. And man, we've been able to cover a lot of things and really had some super cool developments in some software and some new contracts and some really neat things on the horizon for Inner Armor. Really excited about an app that we're going to be starting and just all kinds of stuff. So it's been a kind of pleasure, but also business a little bit this week and really excited to have our guests with us today. Yeah, because this is actually the third installment in a little series we've been doing called Back to School. So in the first installment, we talked to Neil Bennett, who is a counselor, a psychotherapist working with the athletic department at Liberty University. And we talked about kind of the back to school transition and what's required of students at that level, collegiate university level. And then in our last episode, we talked to a high school teacher someone who spent their entire life working with teenagers and talking about the developmental challenges and the educational challenges for teens. And today, we're going to talk to someone who has worked her, her entire career with children and sort of the developmental challenges of that elementary school age and particularly some of the back-to-school challenges. So, Doc, I know that Elizabeth is someone that you've known for a long time, and why don't you introduce her? Yes, we're really excited to have Elizabeth here. She approached me a number of years ago to implement our program in the Granville Public Schools, the elementary schools where she's worked for years. And, you know, we weren't too sure, like, well, how's this going to work? And she has done a phenomenal job with this program. And I'd like her to talk about how that, Elizabeth, if you can kind of share with the audience and how that started, how you took the initiative. And also maybe introduce yourself, your background, and what particularly you do in the school setting. Sure. Again, my name is Elizabeth Petty, and I've been a social worker for 32 years. However, I've worked in the school system since I graduated with my master's at Granville Public Schools. So today starts year 29. Um, knowing a little bit of my age with all these new hires, but you know, with age comes experience and knowledge and wisdom, right? So I'm excited about that. Doc's right. I think it was about four years ago. I approached him because working as a school social worker, I was working with special ed kids and there's just this constant one-to-one need. And I felt like they weren't graduating. 
I didn't see a lot of improvement and I wanted to be able to give them some more tools other than them coming to see me every week and talking about their problems so that when they were in the heat of the moment, when they were very angry or feeling, you know, really upset or stressed or anxious, they could use the skills immediately and start to see some effects. So I wrote a grant and Doc was very gracious to add to that grant so that we could get it started. And it started in one school. And I'm excited to say that this is year three because COVID was a we couldn't really do it during the year of COVID. So this is year three, and we are opening it up to all of our elementary schools this year in Granville. So, wow. And how we many have schools had, is that? How many um, would that be? That's going to be six elementaries. Unbelievable. Yeah. And so for the past three years, we have had an 80% improvement in the students that I've worked with using pre and post data with anxiety and depression. And, you know, those results are unheard of. And it's it's super exciting for me. I love to see the changes in the students. And it's just rewarding for me to know that, you know, the work that we're doing is making a lifelong impact on them. Yeah, it's, it is amazing to see what you're doing and how you're just taking the ball and running with it. And I was in maybe 18 months ago when we did a little film piece, which I encourage people to, to watch where we interviewed some of the little, the kids and talked to you and wow, I couldn't believe where you've taken this program. And it's even since then in the last 18 months, what's happened. I mean, it's really exciting. You've really given us a lot of motivation and interest into actually working with this age group and realizing that we can really do a lot early on with these kids that can set the trajectory uh, in a positive direction, which is, which is really, really cool. Can you tell us a little bit, you know, what are the unique things that kids kind of experience at this age to the age group that you're working with? Is that from first grade to sixth grade or fifth grade? Yeah, I work with kids all the way from kindergarten into sixth grade right now. But the breathing program, we're focusing mostly on third through sixth at this point. Okay. So eight, eight years of age to about 11. Okay. So what are the unique things that you've seen? You've been doing this for 29 years and you've had many back to schools. And what is it about this stage of development? in relation to going back to school after being away for the summer or this is the first time to school, what are some unique things you see in your role, but also as a social worker, psychologically, emotionally, that's going on for these kids? You know, I think that a lot of the things that are going on for the kids are also going on for us teachers. You know, we have, some of us are displaced and we're moved to either new schools, but you know, every student has a new classroom. And they have a new teacher with different expectations and a different personality that they have to navigate. I would say social relationships is probably a number one focus because, you know, if they don't have their good friend or the friends that they feel safest or most comfortable with in their class, who are they going to sit with at lunch? Who are they going to go out with at recess and play with? So I would say that is a big one. Routine, just getting back to routine and the structure 
and boundaries that they haven't had to have all summer, right? We do a lot of teamwork type activities. And I think that those things all play a piece in coming back to school and getting ready and getting started for the new year. Yeah. What are the couple emotions that you see from a positive and negative that you see in these kids when they come in? Well, I think excitement can be twofold. It can be worry and it, and it, you know, it can be a bit, Ooh, I'm ready for this. Uh, I think all students and all people thrive on boundaries. I feel that those, that's important in structure. So I think that even though students might say they don't want it, I think that they need it. So whether they're looking forward to it or not, it gives them a routine and something to build upon. So I, I would definitely say, you know, you have a lot of the sleepless night the night before where you have brains of not being able to get a locker open, even if they don't have lockers and wearing your slippers to school by mistake or, you know, all those crazy things. My friend going to be in my class and am I going to forget to comb my hair? And, you know, all of those crazy things, they still feel those as they come in. So as a social worker in this setting, it's probably, you know, changed some over the years, but what is... What has been your primary role and how does that kind of play itself out day to day with this population? Well, it's changed over the years and I have been blessed by Granville just to really be able to focus on the breathing program. Our district has really began to focus on the MTSS structure model, which has a tiered approach. So we have the tiered approach for both academics and behavior. So what that means is... We have a triangle and at the bottom of the triangle, about 80% is the whole population. So they get whole group instruction, whether that's the social emotional type lesson or a math lesson or, you know, language arts lesson, whatever they're learning. And then they're tested on that based on their progress. So for me, based on teacher data, we'll find out whether or not the whole group lessons, social emotional lessons are enough or if they're still struggling with feelings of insecurity, anxiety, lack of attention. If that takes place, then that's about a 15% of the population will then go into what we call a tier two, which is a small group. And I led many of those small groups and it really focuses on teaching kids about anxiety, about depression, how anxiety affects your body physically, mentally, and emotionally, you know, how you can have a situation that leads to a thought and a thought can be neutral, positive or negative. But many of the students that I work with have negative thoughts and we call those ants. They're automatic negative thinking or thoughts. And those thoughts lead to a feeling. Generally, when a kid is feeling, you know, anxious or nervous, then that feeling, you know, obviously becomes anxious, nervous, worried. And then you have a behavior and you act on that and that becomes a cycle that students do over and over again. So if they're then tested again, so then if the small group was successful, then they can just maintain where they are. But if the data continues to show that they're still struggling in the areas of anxiety, insecurity, lack of confidence, those things, then they would go into what we call a tier three. And that's what the breathing program, that's what I've developed is the breathing program. And the tier three is individualized where a student will come to see me. I block off 30 minutes and they come and see me and we have different phases that we've worked out with in our armor and we work through those phases and see how they're doing throughout the whole year so they see me every week in an ideal world it would be nice if they could come see me every day but because i'm at a different school every day that's not really possible but 
I can safely say that when I was a school social worker, I had students on my caseload that I was supposed to see every week. I am seeing the students more now. They're getting between 20 and 30 sessions a year with me, which is more than what they would get if they were in special ed. So I feel like not only is the breathing program, but just the consistency of them having the same person to see every week to count on so they can talk to is also another great thing that I think aids in their development and their decrease in anxiety and depression. That's awesome. So what is that program called that, what are they, what's the acronym? The brand acronym? Program. S is a tiered, multi-tiered approach. Yeah. I mean, that sounds, it's so interesting you talk about that because Greg and I this week's, well, it'll be a few weeks ago now, talked about just the general tsunami of depression and anxiety that hits our population. And there's only like a one knee-jerk response is, well, go see the therapist or take a pill, you know, if you're an adult, right? And it's really interesting you talking about this tiered approach where everybody in the system is getting some type of assessment, some type of general education about social functioning, anxiety, depression, and then you're kind of triaging them because it's impossible for the whole school to see Elizabeth, right? right? So what they're able to do is through this triage system with multiple assessments, you know, get those with the most need. Now, I think ultimately it'd be great if in level two, you could also be teaching, you know, more of those self-regulation skills, the breathing, that kind of stuff. But that's a pretty big population. We do do that, Doc. So that's what's interesting is a lot of our lessons do do have that emotional regulation and we do teach breathing even to the kindergartners. Last year, I went into a kindergarten class and I had the babies on their belly and we laid on the ground and we practiced them taking a frontal ride up and down. And so we use bubbles. I use pinwheels. I use all sorts of things to teach kids and get them excited about their breasts. So that they're understanding that when we're slowing that mind and body down, that we're calming the system and that they're going to be able to think more clearly and make better decisions. So you're doing that at level two as well in more of a general way. So we're doing it at level one. Then level two is small group. So level one is the entire class. Level two would be a small group anywhere between four and eight at a time. And so before they get to me, they've actually had level one and they get that every week. And then tier two, so this is called MTSS. It's a multi-tiered system of supports. Tier two, we're having them do two groups. So even if they go through one group and we don't see the success, they have to do another six to 10 week group. And then from there, if the data is still not reflecting, then they come to see me for the individualized one-to-one support. So they're getting a lot of support prior to them even coming and being on my caseload and me working them with them to the breathing program. So you've built that all into that whole curriculum of what they're yeah. getting. So tell me why this is kind of a, a question that I probably know the answer to, but maybe our listeners don't. Why breathing? Why is that like this such a huge thread across all these tiers? And what has brought you here? Because it's been 29 years doing this and you may have done that kind of off and on, but you're really like, this is a dominant theme in everything you're doing is the breathing. So can you tell me a little bit of like why breathing for these kids? 
I think that over the years, we've started to understand a little bit more about trauma and about things that students are dealing with on a day-to-day basis. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term ACEs. Those are adverse childhood experiences. And there's 10 of those. So any child that comes to us, you know, we're trying to track. Have they experienced physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional or physical neglect? Do they have a family member that has mental illness or depression? Do they have a family member who's been addicted to alcohol or another substance? Do they have a family member that's been in prison or witnessed, like has a child witnessed a parent being abused? And the last one is, do they have a loss of a parent either through a divorce, a separation or a death? Those are just 10. You know, those are the 10 ACEs. And I, a lot of the students that I work with, you know, the more ACEs you have, the higher risk of trauma and difficulty and anxiety you have. Well, research has shown us that students that have anxiety actually have a more difficult time learning and staying engaged than those that have, let's say, ADHD, because their brain is constantly spinning and they're in that fight, flight, or freeze mode. And they can't calm down enough to even hear what's being said. They're just worried that they're going to, you know, where am I safe? Am I okay? You know, we have students that come that have food insecurity to school every day, or maybe they're homeless and they're living in their car. Or, you know, there's just so many different things that we're worrying about, you know, for our students that I don't think that listeners sometimes really understand the magnitude of what a teacher is responsible for doing at school on a daily basis. You know, when a student walks into your classroom, you hope that they're ready to learn. But it's, you know, it's very common that they're not going to have their boots or their coat, you know, to go out at recess. And we're looking for those or we're going out and buying them. They're not going to have a snack. They might not have had breakfast. Maybe they didn't get any sleep because parents are working night shift and they're on their phone all night and there's no one to monitor that. So there's so many different challenges that a teacher faces every day with kids as they come in to the classroom. I think that utilizing the breathing and just teaching them how to stop, it's something that's universal that everyone can do. So you can do it sitting at your desk. You can do it riding in the car. You can do it laying in bed, wherever they are, wherever they're experiencing, let's say any of these trauma type things, or even if it's not trauma, maybe it's overexcitement, right? Maybe it's lack of focus. They are figuring out how to quiet their mind and body so that they can be engaged and ready. So when we talk about breathing, there can be a lot of different perceptions of what that is. Like, you know, somebody just saying, hey, take a deep breath, you know, or somebody just saying breathe. But when you're talking about, we're talking about something else. Can you kind of explain to the listeners, what are you doing with these kids in relation to, to breathing? and some of the technology and and that kind of things that are going on to take this breathing to another level? Yeah, sure. Great question. So like I said earlier, you know, when they're in tier one and tier two, they're getting the basics of breathing and I'm showing them how to do big belly breathing, where you breathe in through your nose and you're really making your belly big. I call it either like a fat kitty or a pregnant lady. And then you're holding it at the top and then you exhale through your mouth and you pull that belly button into the spine. I can say, I'd say at least 80% of the students that I work with breathe backwards. That makes sense because, and a lot of them I find are women because 
they're told to hold your belly in all the time. Yeah. You guys fuck that belly right. in, fuck that belly in, right? So the first thing is just teaching them how to breathe correctly. But what I love is the belt. The first phase that we do with the breathing program is a belt that they put around their belly and they can mm. see on the computer screen the movement of their belly and how many breaths per minute they're taking. So what we really want is we want it to look like a wave, a slow wave. And I use some examples with some of my students. You know, if you're rollerblading, you're going to want to go over a nice smooth hill. You're not going to want to go over one of those that's going to cause you to crash or, you know, even make a tire go flat. So it's teaching them how to hold the breath at the top and then release through their mouth and then suck their belly in and so they can get those good waves and slow down their breathing to less breaths per minute. A lot of the students that start, start anywhere between, my highest was 26 breaths per minute. Yeah. And so that for them to understand, sometimes it's my hand over their belly, but sometimes in the middle of the computer, they'll get confused too. At the same time, sometimes we have a visual monitor of kind of like a a balloon blowing up and decreasing so that they can follow that, especially if they have some attention issues. So it really, for the first six to eight weeks, that's really what we're focusing on is just slowing down their breathing, getting them to understand the concepts, do it correctly and feel confident in it. And you're doing that with the breathing belt. So they're looking at a computer and mm-hmm. see, actually seeing their breath, their belly going in and out. And you'll go from 26 breaths to, you can get some of these kids down to seven, eight breaths a minute. Yeah. By the time the year is done, I have students who are breathing between five and seven breaths per minute successfully. And that, so the second phase is what we call kind of coherence. And we use an M-Wave, which is an ear sensor. And that really also brings in their feelings and their emotions. That That is a bigger struggle, I can say, for many of our students. It's called the differences between the heart rate and irritability. That is a big struggle because I will often have to, in the work I've done in tier two with them in groups, I'll say, let's think about your happy place because we do that. We design and they draw their own happy place. We describe it with all the senses. We also what are we grateful for? Who are the people that are most significant in your life? And those are things that then I bring back when they're struggling with the staying in where they need to stay when they're breathing because they need to get their mind now connected with their breath. And so that's a challenge for many of the students. That I would say that for many of my students, that's the most difficult area of the breathing program. Then the third tier and the final tier is the ones they get so excited for because we actually get onto Netflix and we watch educational video. And again, they use the belt again. But when they go outside that 10 breaths per minute, the screen gets fuzzy. So it's exciting week after week. You know, when I take notes, it's exciting because what maybe we're having an animal chase, right? And we have something that's chasing an animal and the music is getting intense the students to go this fuzzy and they're like, wait, 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 wait. And I'm like, breathe. You're forgetting to breathe. Like you're getting all, you know, and this is why we're learning how to do this, right? Because when we get excited, when we get fearful or we're nervous, that immediately happens to our breathing. So we're teaching them while they're watching and they're feeling those feelings in their body. We are teaching them 
how to utilize the strategy of breathing so that I can understand how to stay calm and be calm in that moment. So I love that. They love that. This year, I I don't know if Doc knows this or not, but this year I'm also asking John if you can add in the the eye training because I think that's so valuable for kids that I just want to add that in. So, Yep, you're talking about the precision piece. We are working primarily on the the power and the focus piece of the inner armor. But when you were talking about the ear clip, uh, which is the M wave measuring heart rate variability, so that's how that breathing is impacting the heart and you brought in all those emotional components that are dramatic dramatically impacted by controlling the heart rate variability through what's called coherence and it's not just tough for your kids lizzie (laughs) it's tough for adults it's tough for quarterbacks it's tough for ceos of companies it's one of the toughest things that that we see across the board is, yeah, I can breathe correctly, but now how do I take it to the next level where the mind and the heart and the rest of the body engages? And to think that you're doing that with eight to 10-year-olds is just absolutely amazing because I know what the physiology of that does from a health standpoint for all the rest of the body. And you're helping them yeah, get through their third grade class or fourth grade class, but you're literally setting them on a trajectory psychologically, emotionally, and also physically, medically, that would never have been done. And it's so cool that you have really developed this whole thing and is impacting so many kids' lives. What do the kids kind of say? What, what are the that's kids? What I to talk, that's what I was going to talk about next is we're kind of, you know, navigating this month by month, year by year. So after, you know, last year when you came and we did that video and you actually got to talk to some of the students, many of my students that graduated that were doing so great, right? And I actually had a set of parents follow up with the teacher and say, hey, where's that breathing lady at? Can my daughter go back and do that again? Because we just saw a big difference at home with her. She's doing fine at school, but we saw a big difference at home. And so then I started talking with John and the team about, okay, so refreshers, you know, maybe we're going to do refreshers. So, and again, I had a wonderful conversation just at lunch today with a parent that works here with me and colleague and her daughter is in the breathing program and she said, you know, the counselor said that she just won't talk and dismiss her because when she's going to therapy sessions, she just doesn't say anything. She just doesn't talk. And so when her mom said to her, well, what are we going to do? She said, well, can I just go do the breathing with Mrs. Petty? Because that's where I feel best. So I definitely said, yes, refresher. I mean, it takes a long time to learn how to do this. This isn't just a one and done. The more you do it, the more you practice it. I mean, here I'm going on 52 and, you know, I need to continue to practice. And it's really difficult to remember to practice when you're in the heat of the moment or when you are really upset or you are really stressed out. And so practice makes perfect. And I just find that to be a blessing in itself when I have students that want to come back and get hooked up because they find them so intimidating at first. But by the time we're done, you know, we've developed relationships and they can see the progress. 
when they're taking the pre-test, I show them, I go over the results with them. I show them that their anxiety and the things that they've answered, you know, with lacking self-confidence. Do you have friends, you know, do you feel supported by friends? You know, I show them what they've said. I show them why their scores are in the clinically significant range. And we talk about that. And we talk about how, you know, those thoughts and feelings really impact them. And when they have situations that they can use this breathing. And as we go through, if they have a situation and they want to come talk to me, we'll talk about that when they first come in, right? And then we'll get down to business. If they have a crisis or something and I happen to be in the building and they come in, I, we just turn off the lights and we just sit and do our breathing. We don't even do anything before we even talk because I found that my sessions go much better you know, once they've had a chance to do some breathing and to calm themselves down, their thought process and how they see problems and how much they're able to talk through things is just that much more mature. So yeah. I see that success. Yeah, it sounds like in our first episode on this series where we talked with Neil Bennett from Liberty, who's working with college students, and he's talking about he's been doing this for years and he finds when, he, when they do the breathing before the sessions, it cuts therapy time in half as far as yeah. how many sessions. And almost some people that may not have needed, that may have gone to therapy before, but actually the breathing kind of helps them start to self-regulate in a way that they start solving some of their own problems. Is that material? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. When you give them the space and the opportunity to utilize the breathing after we've taught them and they've seen it right on the screen and they've done that. And then the first thing I say is, well, what's your go-to strategy, right? Is breathing. All right, well, let's sit and do it. How are you feeling now? You know, sometimes some people say I need longer than three minutes. Some they need five, some, right? But most of them don't, sometimes they don't even need to say anything. They're like, I'm feeling better now and I can return to class. And I'm excellent. Excellent. Yeah. You know, I'm here if you need me. I say that all the time. I'm here if you need me. But, you know, in some ways, I kind of feel like, you know, this strategy works so well when they're when they really believe in it and they're engaged in utilizing it and they can see the difference. I, I would like to share about one example of a story of one of the students that I work with that just made such a tremendous impact on me. It might bring tears to my eyes. So one of the students I work with is in the Gifted and Talented program. We know that research shows that kids that are gifted and talented usually have higher, you know, rates of anxiety. But we had a situation last year at our school where we had to, we had a scare from a call and phone that there is possibly going to be a shooting. And we had students that were going to be walking and getting on the bus and it was right at bus time. And so all the kids whether they belong on the bus or not, they were all set on the bus. Many of the teachers didn't even know this was happening because they were in the front. So the kids that were in the back, they just all got in a bus and they shut the door. They were in there. They were on the bus for over an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes without understanding. There was a parent that came and was pounding on the door, trying to get their children to come out and people didn't know. What is this about? What's happening? The following day, my student didn't come back. And so I called home and I said, hey, you know, bring him to school. I want to talk to him. Well, he was on the bus and the little friend next to him, he was really stressed out. And the little friend next to him, he said, was crying and he was really anxious too. And he grabbed that kid's hand and he said, let's do deep breathing. Let's breathe together. Oh. 
And so they got through that hour, that hour and 15 minutes, right? Huddled together, Mm -hmm. trying to do their breathing because they know that in times of stress or fear, that that's a good strategy to use. And so, you know, he recovered. He needed more time to recover the day after, which who wouldn't at that age, you know, when you're dealing with that level of trauma. But it was also so good to know that, you know, when he did come back that next day, he could come in my office and he shared that with me and he shared his experiences. But he said, it just kept, it just kept bringing to mind, I need to breathe. I need to breathe. Right. And so I thought that was, that was just awesome. That just touched my heart. Yeah. I mean, the, Give somebody at that age the skill that even an adult can't manage a situation like that, but to have a skill that you're able to self-regulate and do something for yourself to calm yourself down in that situation. We have no idea what the exponential impact be for that child when they become a teenager, when they become an adult, when they become a father, you know, what that kind of butterfly effect of the the breathing will happen. And I think about you're dealing with the most at-risk group when they get to that third level, right? Yeah. These right before they go to special ed. Yeah. I mean, they are at the tip. Yes, they are. Of this, like, what way is their life going to go uh, and sadly, some of that, you know, is coming from stuff that they can't control. Things right. at home or experiences, these aces that you talked about. And we'll never know, but just these things that you're seeing on the data from pre and post testing, how anxiety is changing and depression by 80%. What is the exponential trajectory that changes in these kids' lives because you're doing that with them on the front lines at school. And I know reading's important and I know math's important, but could you be doing the most important thing that those children will ever experience at this phase in their life? And I'm going to say yes. Well, Doc, does- no. Doc, you yes. and I know, I mean, let's just think about Maslow's hierarchy needs. You know, you can't proceed up the um, ladder of those needs until you have those basic um, physiological needs of air, right? Breathing, water, food, sleep, shelter, clothing. And so when we're talking and going up that ladder, if we don't have those first, then we're not, I mean, problem solving is in the top tier of self-actualization and we're expecting students to problem solve all the time, right? So if they don't have that sense of belonging, if they don't have those social groups or they don't have, you know, the esteem, the self-confidence, then they're not going to progress academically because learning comes way after you have, you know, your basic needs met, which are a core piece, I believe, you know, of the breathing program. We talk about getting good sleep and trying to get eight to 10 hours or whatever we can and trying to get a schedule. I talked about that with them. I talk about eating good food, you know, that's probably one of my number one struggles is that eating healthy is expensive, you know, and it's so much easier to have pasta and mac and cheese or ramen noodles or fast food than it is to eat healthy. It's expensive. So a lot of our kids don't have that, you know, opportunity. 
So I think just getting those, you know, basic needs met and teaching them how to utilize the breath is going to have the biggest impact long term on kids education, right? And their level of learning um, and how much they're capable of learning. So it's exciting to see that um, I'm a part of the puzzle. Yes. And as we kind of wind down a little bit, can you share, we had this, I did this video with you about 18 months ago. Okay. And we went through the whole video. We kind of did the interviews, those kind of things. And then right at the, after we filmed, I don't know why we didn't get this on film, but right at the end of the film, you said, let me show you something. And it was kind of winter. So you had long sleeves on and you pulled up the sleeve on your arm and showed me your forearm. And can you tell me what was, tell the audience what was on your forearm? Breathe. Breathe. It says breathe. This wasn't in marker. This is a tattoo. No, but that is the running joke. For a year, I wrote it in permanent marker because I wasn't sure if I wanted a tattoo on my body. And so I also had the blessings of us getting a lake house by Lake Michigan. And so one of the places that I collect myself and I practice my deep breathing and I recenter myself because I am on year 29 of being a social worker and that's super rare. The average social worker burns out between seven and eight. But one of the places that I restore and reset my soul is breathing and walking the beach. And my tattoo has waves um, because I often look and I talk to kids about this with the waves. You know, we can have a wave that can, you know, give us off balance and, and we can just, okay, we just need to write ourselves up, right? Sometimes we can have a wave that knocks us to our knees and we might need to use some strategies to, you know, get, get through that difficult time. And we can also have some ways that pull us under. And it's not uncommon to need someone to help us during that time. And so when the students are working with me, I want them to know that, you know, maybe I'm that one person that can help them when they feel that they're going under. And that's what my tattoo represents for myself as well, is that for me, God is my foundation. So when I'm feeling pulled under, remembering my breath and going to him is where I find my peace. Wow. This has been awesome. Just fantastic. And we are so thankful for you, Elizabeth. I thank you for running point on coming to me and saying, hey, I want to do this grant. And I'm like, are you sure? And I thought it was going to be a couple of kids. And now we're talking, we're on our six elementary schools. I mean, we need to be getting this in every elementary school in the country. It, it needs to be happening. And you are an inspiration. Well, I've already sent an email, so I don't know if you want to put this in the clip or not, but I contacted my local KISD and I'm in contact to see how I can get the other districts surrounding me possibly utilizing this in their tier threes as well. Awesome. I'm in the beginning stages of that. Yeah, but it's awesome. Way to just be, you know, taking the, the lead and carving the path. And it's just so awesome that after 29 years, you've, this is where the, it's landed. Is that if we get this breathing down, it's just starting this course. And that's what we feel at Inner Armor is all about. This is the beginning. This is building your inner armor. And it starts with the breathing. Wow, what a fantastic conversation. Thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us. And thank you, Doc, for what a fascinating conversation. And if you are interested in bringing the Inner Armor program to your school, 
or to your company, to your team, contact us at forgeinnerarmor.com. And if you'd like to learn more about the science behind it, go to amazon.com and check out our book, forgeyourinnerarmor.com, available in print, ebook, and audiobook. This has been the Inner Armor Podcast. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Would you please follow or subscribe and make sure to leave us a review or comment. You can learn more about Inner Armor, Dr. Royer, and how to perform at your potential by going to forgeinnerarmor.com.